welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. When you're studying the Bible and you come across scriptures that just seem a little strange, what do you do? Do you just ignore it and keep reading? Or maybe try to rationalize it in the hopes that somehow it'll make sense? In this week's episode, Francis Chan explains how to approach those times when God's thoughts just don't line up with ours. We hope that this message encourages you and leads you to a deeper sense of reverence, both for the Lord and His Word. God, you're so good to us. I don't ever want to take any glory from you. You've given me words to say this morning, and I don't want to mess them up, Father, because you deserve the best. You're amazing, and I pray right now that you would clear my mind and put your thoughts in there, that you'd keep my mouth from saying anything stupid or self-centered, but everything giving you glory and telling people how great you are, and that's it. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the other day I was getting ready to speak, and someone was introducing me. And uh, I don't know, it was just kind of a weird introduction, <laughs> like it just said all these weird things and it's like, what does it got to do with me, you know? And, uh, and I just thought, you know what, your job was really just to say, hey, here's Francis and then sit down, <laughs> you know, and then give me the mic that came from me. You know, it's, it's that type of thing, but he just kept talking about stuff and, and weird stuff. Anyways, I thought about how, you know, that's really all I'm supposed to do is I'm just supposed to introduce God to you. Not make it about me, not make it about anything else, just let me introduce you to him, and now you, you spend the rest of your life with him. He's an amazing guy. Here, here, you hang out with him. You're not here for me, you're here for him. Like, my job as a teacher is to just make an introduction. And that's why, you know, we want you so in the Word for yourselves, like reading the Bible for yourself, because I... We're not here to tell you everything that's in the Bible. We're here to introduce you to God and the scriptures. And then our, we want you to be alone with him. It's like, no, he's the one we want you hanging out with. We want you with this book and just alone with God. And so that's why we, we beg you all the time, man, get in the word, get in the word, get in the word. You know, we have this reading plan. And how many of you are at least trying to keep with us in the reading plan? Awesome. Awesome. That is so good to see. Now, how many of you, as you're reading, you're reading, you know, maybe it's your first time through scripture or some of you several times, but you know how you catch things you never caught before? Okay. How many, just admit, if there's passages you're reading that you go, wow, that's kind of weird. Okay. Right? There's just things because no one talks about some of these passages and you read them, you're going, whoa, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that was there. I don't know. And um, even, even this week, I had someone ask me, hey, what do you do with some of those strange passages? What do you do? And so, so that's the title of my talk. What do you do with weird passages? Um, and I thought the best way to explain that is with dried squid. Okay, now, this is weird to some of you, but I grew up eating dried squid. Anyone else eat dried squid? Okay, there's a good amount of you. 
Okay, you know, like, I don't know what you look forward to, but as a kid, you know, my dad would go to the market, we, as kids, would just hope that we would get a bag of squid. Oh. Now, my wife thinks this is weird. <laughs> How many think this is weird? Okay, most of half of you. So it's about half and half. Now, it's not weird to me, because I grew up with it. This is normal to me. It's delicious to me. Um, but she thinks a lot of things I eat are weird. She thinks raw fish is weird. She thinks, you know, any squid in any form is weird. You know, just a lot of things like that. But you know what's really weird? It's her favorite food. Circus peanuts. <laughs> okay, I look at this and I go, now that's weird. This is weird. Okay, do you guys even know what these are? This is the most disgusting thing. Okay, I don't know what it's made of. It's like this chewy, marshmallowy thing. And this is the way she eats them. And she'll only eat one brand, not this brand. She'll only eat Brock's. And, um, but she'll smash them until they're like really thin. And it's just like this sugary marshmallow that tastes like banana, but shaped like a peanut. I just think that's disgusting. That's so weird. Who would eat that? And so she's looking at this, and I'm going, well, at least that's real. It's like it was in the ocean, and I'm just like, um. You know, this is like just a bunch of chemicals mixed together, and no one knows what it is. Now, my point in that is that who would say my wife is weird for eating this? Don't be afraid. Raise your hand. Okay, and who would say I'm weird for eating this? Okay, so, so you know, it's just, what makes something weird? I grew up with this, she grew up with this. You know, it's just we're different, we think different. So, I bring that up because when we get into scripture, there are things we'll read and we'll go, that's weird to me. Why is that weird to me? Well, because I was raised different. I was raised not to think that way. And this is my culture. And this is what's normal to me. But, but the Bible says something. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse 8, he says, this is God speaking. He goes, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He goes, I don't think like you. You think certain things are weird, and I think certain things are weird about you. And when we come to Scripture and we read some of these passages, we look at it from our lens and we go, that's really strange that he would do that. Okay, but, but when we come to those points, we've got to ask ourselves, okay, who's, who's right then, God or me? Okay, let me, let me, do, let me illustrate it this way. Um, who is the smartest person here today? I don't even think I'm smart enough to decide that. Uh, who, uh, what do you guys think is the smartest guy here? I'm trying to... Dennis? Dennis? Doug? Dennis? Doug? Andrew? <laughs> who? Marcus Hung? Yeah, Marcus sounds pretty smart. Let's just, we'll just take Marcus, okay? Okay, Marcus, if you're not the smartest, name someone smarter than you here. 
Andrew? Okay, where's Andrew? Where's Andrew? Andrew, I've been there. Where's Andrew? Okay, Andrew, if you're not the smartest, who's smarter than you? Me? No, 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 no. That's not true. Okay, so Andrew, let's just say, okay, we'll just say, you might be the smartest person here. Andrew, ah, oh, is that your baby? I haven't seen your baby yet. What's your baby's name? Carter. Carter? Okay, think of Andrew and think of baby Carter there. Now, there's probably a gap between their minds, right? Andrew and Carter. Okay, if they took a test, probably Andrew, right? Do you see the gap there? See, because in the very next verse, what God says in, in verse 8, after he says, My thoughts aren't your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. He goes, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See that gap between Andrew and Carter? That's a little gap. God says, you want to see a gap? Here are my thoughts and here's your thoughts. You see how the heavens are way up there beyond you? That's the way my thoughts are compared to yours. That, that's the way my, my ways are compared to yours. He goes, my thoughts, yes, my thoughts are weird to you. Because they're not your thoughts. They're light years beyond your thoughts. That gap between me and you. And so when we read these passages in Scripture, and we go, well, that's weird. Our job is not to put him under us and go, he must be off because he doesn't think like I do. Instead, we look at our own lives and go, man, what is off with me that I don't think like that? And when I get to a weird passage, I go, man, why is this weird to me? What's wrong with me? that there's something wrong with me, not something wrong with them. You know, I, I, I watched an interview the other day that was very disturbing. It was by this real, you know, world-renowned magician who's an atheist. And, uh, and, and I think it was on, uh, it was just a clip from the Jimmy Fallon show, like late night, and, and he made the comment. He goes, he goes, the fastest way to become an atheist is by reading the Bible. He goes, just read the Bible. He just goes on and talks about these things that God does. He goes, you want to believe in a God like that? This is why I don't believe. See, the way that he thinks is the way that most of the world thinks. If they read something in Scripture and it's different to them, they think, God doesn't think like me. God doesn't act like me. Something is wrong with him. I'm not going to believe in him. But what we should do is say, you know what? God doesn't think like I do. God doesn't act like I do. Something is wrong with me. Something is off with me, and I need to change and come under the scriptures. You know, uh, this week we started reading in Leviticus. Now, when we read Leviticus, it's weird, right? The sacrifices... The ritual, everything you've got to go through. Even before that, in Exodus, when they're building the tabernacle, and God goes, look, I want it this way. Here's why I want you to make every single ring, every single curtain. I want it like this, 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 this. And then if anyone's going to come into my presence, you better sacrifice this, 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 this. Exactly this way. And he goes on, he goes, okay, in the kidneys, I want this part and this part, but not that part, and the fat on it, and the blood, and this, and this. 
And you, we look at that and we go, that is so weird. And the question we ask is, why do you have to go through all of that just to come into the presence of God? Why does he think we should go through all of that? But that's not the right question to ask. The right question to ask is, why do I think I should be able to just casually walk into his presence? What's wrong with me? That I think it's no big deal to enter into the presence of God? I should look at the scriptures and go, oh my gosh. God really sees himself as this amazing being and says, look, for a human being to come into my presence is a huge, huge deal. So something's off in me when I just casually close my eyes and go, hey, God's me again. Rather than reading the book of Leviticus and go, oh, I get that. I could see that. A human being coming in the presence of God, you better do everything just right. You better, you know, because this is an amazing, the gap. So there's something off in me that Leviticus is weird to me. You know, last week we, we talked, or last month we talked about the, earlier this month, we talked about Cain and Abel. And we thought, man, that's, that was a weird story to us. Like you both brought sacrifices. One brought vegetables, one brought meat, and he rejects one? And a lot of us read that passage, and again, it's weird. But, but again, the weirdness isn't on God's side. It should be on us going, man, why do I have this mindset that God should just receive anything I give him? I mean, I feel like if I give him two bucks, he should be happy with that. If I give him anything, I should, he should be happy. Now, what is wrong with me that I'm so casual in my giving and my offering that I read a story like that and it's strange to me? We read about Noah. Isn't it weird when you read about Noah, the story, when God says, oh, I regret that I ever made man. Look at them. Look at the way they're, look at those people on that earth. Look at the way they're living. And he decides, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to kill everyone on the earth. Now, when we read that story, we think it's weird. Because we go, why would you punish so severely? Why? Well, why? Just because, okay, yeah, we did some things wrong, but why would you kill everyone on the earth with a flood? Why is your punishment so extreme? And the question we should be asking is, why am I so weird? that I think his punishment should be so soft. What makes me this way? Is it the way I was raised? Is it because my parents never disciplined me? Because I never got in trouble for doing right or wrong? Is it because of my culture? What is it that makes this gap so huge between God and I? It's weird. I'm telling you, as you read the scripture, you're going to see that the scripture is weird. The gospel is weird. Isn't that a strange way of thinking that all of these people, every one of you, you've done some horrible, horrible things, myself included, and the creator of it all decides, I'll send my son. That's weird. Would you have thought of that? To give your only begotten son and have him take the form of a man and have him nailed to a cross? That's weird. Weird in that it's different. It's set apart. That's what the word holy means, is weird. It's not like us. It's unusual. In fact, if you look up dictionary.com, go ahead. What is the definition of weird? Weird. 
supernatural, unnatural, fantastic, uncanny. It basically means holy. This is not the way I think. This is set apart. And, and later on, we'll read in Leviticus 19, he says, you be weird as I am weird. You be holy as I am holy. See, I'm different and I don't think like you. I want you to become like me. I want your thinking to start becoming like mine so we don't read the scriptures and go, oh, he's so weird in a bad way, in a derogatory way, but in a reverent way and go, wow, he's so different. I need to become more like him. Any passage I don't understand, I don't get. I, gotta, I have to get that. Fix what's wrong with me so that my ways can be more like your ways. And that's why he puts his spirit in us. Is over time, the more you study, you more go, Okay, I'm starting to think like him. I'm starting to think like him. He's giving me the mind of Christ. And this book begins to make more and more sense. But you got to understand, this is weird. The Holy Spirit is weird. Heaven is weird. Revelation is weird. That's why we read this book, because it's weird. Because it's different from the way we think. Because his thoughts are so far beyond ours, that's why we study this book. Otherwise, we, we don't need this book. We can just sit here and think and believe everything that we think. And just assume that our thoughts are supreme. And anything that comes through this mind is the ultimate. And that's the way the most of the world lives. But we say, you know what? No, I think there is a being whose ways are higher than mine. I mean, the gap between Andrew and Carter, I mean, that, that's a big gap. But the gap between God and me, that's even bigger. We need this book because it's strange. And when we read some of these stories that are strange, those are the very ones I think we need to understand. Um, someone asked me this week, about Exodus 32. It was during the day that we read Exodus 32. He goes, whoa, what do I do with that? What do you do with Exodus 32? How do you explain? Oh, and he asked this, how, how do I explain Exodus 32 to my friend who I told him to read the Bible? And he would have read this today, maybe. And he doesn't really believe. And I, I'm kind of scared for him to read Exodus 32. You know, it's like, wow. Well, there's a lot of passages that people are going to read and we're like, ooh, ooh. And there's almost like parts of God that we want to hide from people because we're going, they won't get that. They won't get that. They won't get that. And the Bible's saying, look, my sheep will listen to my voice. I can open their eyes and they'll get it. They'll get it. And uh, so what do we normally do with a passage like this? Normally, we ignore it. I went online to try to find other people who preach Exodus 32 and I couldn't find any. Okay, this is what we do. Let's just, let's just forget that ever happened. And yet I'm telling you, as I read it and just accepted it, rather than confusing me, it made me fall on my face. I mean, literally fall on my face and worship. So I'm going, God, you are so far beyond me. My thinking has been so off to think that this is weird. And God, help me to get it. Help me to think like you. I'm telling you, when you come to Scripture with that type of reverence rather than with a condescending attitude like you're so brilliant and what's this antiquated book, you know, and he doesn't think like me because he's so far below me. 
I, but instead you come and go, God, I want to come under and I want to understand you. I'm telling you, it's, it's life-changing. That's when your world changes. That's where God opens your eyes. You go, wow, I get it. In Exodus 32, you have that passage where um, Moses goes up on the mountain. That actually happened in Exodus 24. Remember that? Everyone's watching. And, the, and Moses is allowed to go up into the mountain that's covered with the glory of God. So imagine if, I mean, there's not really a mountain higher right now, but, but imagine we could see a mountain up there and, uh, and you guys have to stay right here. Go, okay, you guys, you're not like me. Okay, you got to stay right here. And uh, I'm allowed to go up the mountain. I mean, it would be terrifying. I mean, the Bible talks about how the mountain's filling with smoke and the cloud, and they could see the glory of the Lord in this veiled way. I mean, it's just this craziness. And as I'm walking up the mountain, you're just waiting, going, man, is he going to die? I can't believe he's walking into that. I mean, it's like an atom bomb, and I'm going, okay, I'm just going to walk right into it. And you're just waiting for me to die, going, He's gone. He's gone. And you see me walk up and you go, no way. So that's what's happening in Exodus 24 is you guys are all watching as I go up there. But by the time Exodus 32 happens, I'm up there in the presence or Moses is up there in the presence of God, getting these commands from God, talking to him. He's been up there for 40 days and everyone goes kind of nuts. Like, where's he been? He said he was coming back. It's been 40 days. And so, so then maybe, maybe, you know, Kevin says, okay, everyone, give me your gold. You know, give me all your money and give me all this stuff. Well, I'm going to make a God for us to worship because who knows if, if Moses will ever come back, if Francis is ever going to come back down from that mountain. And, we make a, a, you, and you make this idol and you start worshiping. Go, okay, that's our God. This is who got us out of Egypt. And you start praising this cow. And God looks down and this is where it starts getting weird. In Exodus 32, in, in, uh, in verse 9, the Lord says to Moses, I've seen these guys. Okay, so picture me. I'm on the mountain with God, and you guys are down here worshiping a cow now. And God says, I've seen this people. It's a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, leave me alone. Let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them in order that I make a great nation of you. He says to Moses, you know what? Let me just kill them all. Okay? Look at this. I'm about, I'm letting a human being come into my presence, and these guys can't even wait long enough for you to return. Let me just kill them, and then I'll grab you. I'll make a whole new nation out of you. Isn't that a weird conversation that God would have with a human being? And then it gets even stranger, because in verse 11, Moses begs the Lord and says, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them on the mountains and consume them on the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I've promised, I will give to your offspring and they will inherit it forever. Verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Okay, that's crazy. 
God, God, God tells Moses, you know, hey, or if it were me going up that mountain, he goes, hey, Francis, you know what? Just, 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 okay, back away. I just want to kill them all. And, and, and for me to go to, to, to God and say, well, wait, wait, hold on, God, why would you do that? But what he appeals to is his own glory. He goes, don't you understand? These are the people that you pulled out of Egypt. And if you kill them now, the Egyptians, they're going to say, look at that evil God. He pulled them out just to kill them there. He goes, look, you remember your promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Man, you got to do this so that you will bring glory. Don't kill them. Make them into this nation. Put them in the land like you promised. And God listens to that. And he says, okay, I won't kill them. Okay, that's weird. Well, was he really, did that really happen? Was God really going to kill them? Was he, you know, like there's all these questions that go to our mind. Okay, but that's nothing. Okay, then at the end of the passage, this is probably the hardest part for all of us to stomach right now. And some of you, this may be your last time at one of our gatherings because I will actually read this. Okay? And you'll just say, I, I can't handle that. But it's scripture. Exodus 32, verse 27. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. He's saying to the, to the Levites, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor, and the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his own son and of his brother, that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. So God says, here's what I want to do. You know, Moses, okay, who's with God? Who's on God's side? And imagine a few of you stand up. It's all right, come on forward. Everyone grab a sword. You guys that are with me here, grab a sword. And I want you to just run around. And I want you to go back and forth and just start killing anyone. Anyone who dared worship that idol. I don't care if it's your brother. I don't care if it's your son. You do it. And then they do it. 3,000 men are killed. And Moses says, okay, good job, you guys. You guys have proven yourselves. You guys are going to be the Levites. You guys are going to be the priests because you did what God told you to do. What do you do with this passage? First thing I would say is you got to ask the right question. Is this passage hard to understand or is it hard to accept? We know what it says, right? You know, usually we read these passages and go, that's a really difficult one to understand. I go, no, not really. But it is very difficult to stomach and accept. Because our temptation is to explain away every part of a story rather than accept it for what it is. Because it's weird to us, we go, okay, he must not have meant that. It must not have been real swords. He must not have really died. 
It must have been this. It must have been that. It must have been a bad day. It must have been on and on and on and on. And we try to explain. That's the temptation because it doesn't match up with our thinking. But what I want to do today real quickly right now is just kind of not explain the passage, but beg you to accept it. I don't think there's that much explaining to do. See, we think it's weird. That's just that first section that God wants to pour out his wrath. Isn't that weird to you? Because not many people preach that. No one preaches about God's wrath. But what I'm saying is that's a pretty common theme in Scripture for God to have people put to death. Don't you remember the story of how they even got there out of, the, out of Egypt? Remember the plagues? Remember the killing of the firstborn? God, God, God's had the ground open up and swallow people alive. God has allowed snakes, you know, and, and sent these serpents to kill people. He's had fire come down from heaven and consume people. We already mentioned that he flooded the old earth and killed everyone. Okay, so this is not like something strange here in the sense that it's unusual in Scripture. He's used diseases. You, you want to get really creative, read the book of Revelation and see how people die. So, so, so the, the, it's not difficult to understand. It's just difficult to accept that there's a lot of killing in Scripture. There's a lot of death. And so what do you do? Do you explain it all away and say he didn't mean any of those? Or do you just go, wow, this being is different from me. And I need to understand this. And take this seriously. The second thing that's weird is God changing his mind, right? Isn't that weird? That Moses spoke to him and he goes, okay, I won't kill him. You're like, wait, is that really how it happened? But what you need to understand is that this also is a common theme in Scripture. That, that amazing God, somehow our prayers do something. We have that story where Abraham, you know, when he's about to, to destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham's like, hey, but if I find 50 people in there that are righteous, then, then will you not destroy? He goes, okay, if you can find 50, go ahead. Okay, hey, 45, 45. 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, 1. You know, it just, he just keeps counting down, and God's like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. And finally, he can't find anyone except Lot, and he pulls Lot out of there. So it's this communication with God you know, the Bible says that Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. It doesn't just say that God stopped it from raining. It says, well, Elijah prayed, and so this happened. Jesus' his whole thing was saying, look, until now you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask. It'll be done for you. So these are, these are unusual things. We have Hezekiah. Hezekiah, remember when he was dying, and he starts praying, and he's like, man, God just told me I'm going to die. And then God says, okay, I heard your prayer. I'll give you another 15 years. What? Okay, so I can't, I'm not telling you I can explain how this works. I'm just saying this is an unusual. Somehow that's how powerful my prayer is. I could close my eyes right now and pray something in your life and things happen. And then you got the weirdest part where he says, strap a sword on and just start killing. And I got to say, 
it's weird to us, but I will, it's not uncommon to the teaching of Scripture. Remember Abraham, where God says, look, I just want to see, would you give your only son for me? Would you lay him on the altar? And because you did. I mean, think of Jesus was the biggest culprit on this one. What did Jesus say? He goes, look, I didn't come to bring peace to your family. Right? These are his words, not mine. He goes, I didn't come to bring peace, but a what? Sword. And we want to say, well, he didn't really mean that. Well, it seems to flow with everything else. He says, no, I, I need you to even be willing to hate your father, mother, wife, kids. And anyone who doesn't do that, they're not worthy of me. Okay, that, that's, that's a thing you, you've got to see. This is a common theme in Scripture. And that's why, you know, like when Jesus preached, like in John 6, verse 60, everyone left him. He had thousands of people and there were a dozen left when he was done. And it says in John 6, verse 60, the people says, this is hard. Who can listen to it? Because who can listen to this kind of teaching? That's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he goes, in the last days, people will not put up with sound doctrine. You won't put up with a God who thinks he's so great that he's better than your family and you better hold him and love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And he's that far beyond. Yes, even your cute little baby. That's hard for us to stomach. But at the same time, it's in Scripture. And if there's one thing I've learned that's been a tough lesson for me to learn, but I thought this through over and over and over again, I'm going, yes, this is in the Scriptures is God values his own glory more than he values human life. That's hard for you, some of you guys to stomach because you go, how could he value himself more than me? I'm more than my kids. I'm more than my family. And yet I'm just saying, look, I don't think I'm reading anything into this. I'm saying it's as hard for me to accept in our self-centered world where everyone's about themselves and I'm about myself and I think, well, God should do this, God should do this, God should think like me. That's where my mind naturally goes. But that's when I have to make a decision. Is he off or am I off? Am I going to stop believing because he's different from me? Many people have done that. My wife was watching... Uh, interview with Oprah Winfrey one time. She goes, that's why I stopped becoming a Christian. I, I stopped being Christian. It's when I read about God's jealousy. God's a jealous God? How dare he be a jealous God? I'm not going to follow that kind of God. Who can listen to it? Who's going to put up with that sound doctrine? And I'm going, I will. You see, God values his glory over hum human life. And it just is what it is. That's who he is. And I'm, I'm grateful for it. The Bible says he's like a potter and we're like a piece of clay. Would you think it was wrong if I had a piece of clay up here and I valued myself over the, the, the cup I was making? And go, you know what, I could just smash this thing and make another one. That's the way the Bible describes God compared to us, the gap between him and us. And here's the last thing I, I just want to say is um, look you guys 
I love what's happening here, okay? I love what's going on in the homes. I love hanging out with so many of you. I hear the stories of how God brought you to this place, and it's been awesome. And I'm going, God, this is the most peace I've felt about church because we're pursuing something. We're pursuing, you know what? If our church is off from this book, then let's become like the church in this book. Okay, I know it's weird. I know it's different. I know no one does it this way, but let's just go as much as we can just like this book. And I thank God for that because it's like, here's, here's the offering, Lord. And the idea is not to have the biggest church. Sure, I'd love to have thousands and thousands of people, but I was thinking, sure, no, God, I, I want the real thing. I, 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 you, want, you wanted a pure church. I mean, you're okay with dwindling numbers down. We just read about that. Yeah, I could do without those 3,000. Go... You know, it's like, wow, Lord, you just want, you want this offering. There's a certain offering you want, and I want to bring that to you. And here's my concern, you guys. Hey, right. some of you will listen to some of this, what I shared today. And some of you are brilliant people. Your mind is beyond mine. Like if we took a test, like you probably scored higher in SAT, half of you, maybe a third, maybe a fourth of you. Okay, you know, you, you probably did better than me, some of you. And so it's very easy to just feel like, I know a lot, okay? And then there's others of you, you're not even that intelligent, but you still feel like you know a lot. I, I mean, the bottom isn't knowledge, it's just a lot of us, including myself, we're arrogant. You know, we just are. I, I think I'm pretty smart. I think I, I get this. I think I can understand things. So we get this type of mindset, and so it's very easy for us to judge it to the people, other people's actions the way other people think, and then it just transfers over into the way God thinks. And we start going, oh, I don't think this is right. I don't think this is right. I don't think this is right. And you understand what an arrogant thing that is to do. Because what I fear is one day you're going to stand before God and you finally realize, oh, I don't get to judge you? Oh, you're the judge? So you were actually the one that was right, and now you're going to look at my actions and my thinking? Look, some of you don't like this, but we answer to someone at the end of our lives. You may not think that makes sense, and that may not compute with your way of thinking. God says, it is what it is. I'm God, you're not. I judge, you don't. And you should be looking at my way of thinking and coming under that rather than making me come under yours. And so as we go on in Scripture, there will be questions. And let's be honest with those questions, but let's come at it with a sense of reverence and humility. Because at the end of the day, yes, everything He's done is weird. The Holy Spirit is weird. Forgiveness is weird. It's holy. It's set apart. It's supernatural. It's different from the way that we think. And maybe come, some of you came here today and you're, you're, you've always kind of just looked at this as below you. And I just want you to consider maybe you're the one that's off and this is just so far beyond you that you haven't gotten it. And what this book says is, look, all of us have sinned against him. And he has every right to pour out his wrath on us. And it's right for him to have this wrath. We worship him for his wrath. And it's right. And yet somehow, for some reason, he says, I love you, though. And he sent his son to die for us. And some of us, we go, man, you can't do that. You can't just take care of everything for me. You can't just pay for me. God says, no, I can. I can pay the penalty for your sin. 
I can forgive you no matter what you did. I could take it over right now. I can clean you completely right now. I don't care what you, I don't care how many people you killed, how many people you slept with. I don't care any of that. I can clean it all right now in a second. And some of you go, that's not fair. And God says, well, it is who I am. It is what it is. Okay? This is stuff we don't normally question because we like it. Right? But it is weird. And he says, I'll forgive it all right now. But you need to follow me. You deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You gotta love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you don't hate your father, mother, wife, kids, you don't see me as way beyond them, and you don't get it. You're not ready. But those who are ready, those who get it, and understand what I did for you on the cross, and you want my spirit in you to lead you into my way of thinking and to come under that type of kingship, because then come and follow me. And that's what some of us have decided. And I pray that you all do. And uh, man, if you have any questions about that, questions about your own forgiveness, your own salvation, man, I beg you, talk to the person who brought you. You don't need me, you know? That's why we spread up into these house gatherings because we have godly, godly people in this room right here. I don't claim to be the closest to God. I don't, I don't know, maybe I am, but I don't know. Any one of you could be closer to the Lord. It's not a competition. It's like he wants intimacy with all of us. And I'm just saying, hey, talk to someone who brought you if you have questions about this, because we want you to be right here. Thank you for listening to the Crazy Love Podcast. Join us next time for a new episode. But until then, for more resources from Crazy Love Ministries or to support the work of Crazy Love, please visit our website at crazylove.org.